All right, you guys, in this video, I'm gonna explain why I think Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. In a YouTube video two years ago, Kevin Healy got thousands of views and comments when he explained why he believed Dr. Craig Wright was the inventor of Bitcoin and why he was switching from developing on Ethereum to Bitcoin SV. Today, Kevin is a content specialist for the BSV supporting Bitcoin Association. I wanted to ask about his long and interesting career journey which started as an independent iOS developer who created a dozen apps for Apple's App Store. You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. Kevin, before we go back into history, just give me an idea of what your job is today, would you? Yeah, so today I'm working for the uh, Bitcoin Association, BSV blockchain is what it might get renamed to soon. But um, yeah, so I'm working on the education team. So they have these courses that are sort of like uh, college curriculum type things. They take, you know, many hours to, to do. And so I was joined with, we wanted to do like shorter tutorials and better documentation for developers. Um, but the, the train is moving towards these, these longer courses. Um, so we'll see how things evolve, but. And these are in-person courses as well as online? Um, they do meet up in person, but the majority of it is online right. and the team is remote. It's actually kind of fun because there's people from Europe, there's people from Australia, there's people from the Philippines all on the team. And so, so your history is a very interesting one because you were a developer uh, uh, working with Ethereum, is that right? I would say I would say I was a tinkerer, okay. and uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I was an iOS developer, and so um, yeah, in the early days, I was really naive. I'm like, let's just take a shotgun approach and do everything, and then next year, the new operating system, and I had to update all twelve of my apps as a single developer, and so some of them didn't get maintained, so I just ended up deleting all of them except for one, which was a fashion app at the time. Was your sort of uh, career plan that you would build apps and yeah. income would come from those apps? Yeah. And I was like, I was obsessed with the whole, you know, the Silicon Valley stories, whether it's Twitter or Mark Zuckerberg in his dorm room or Evan Spiegel's Snapchat, where they just built this app and then have millions and billions of dollars. And so I kind of naively copied their business model, which is all based on the advertising business model. Um, and it was, it was really it was a, it was a silly thing to do. And, and where were you based then? Uh, San Diego. Right. So yeah. you weren't a million miles from Silicon Valley itself then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all California and like Apple and Amazon and um, Qualcomm, but they're not, I don't think they're in Silicon Valley so much, but they have offices like right in San Diego, you know, five minutes from where I live. But your apps were generating income. Um, they, okay. So some of them were. But the one that I focused all my time on, but like small amounts, you know, hmm. because see, I really wanted to do iOS development in college. And so I took computer science and I was like studying to learn how to do, because I got like the first iPhone uh, in high school and everybody is just like part of my psyche where it's like, how do I learn how to program this thing? Because it was such a big part of my life. And they didn't have any real courses. And in those early days, there were people that were just, you know, making millions as a single developer, right? But as the app platform matured, then it was more companies and you needed venture capital mm -hmm. and the labor 
for building apps became, you know, really expensive. So the but also perhaps all the more obvious ideas had been taken. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the dream of being able to uh, the dream of being able to be a single developer, it, it probably is still possible, but it became much, much more difficult. I think the last uh, the last person that did it was um, the guy that did Flappy Bird, and um, so, anyways, I uh, I still still do that, but I I had worked so hard, I was working like you know fourteen sixteen hours a day to build these apps. Just gave gave up my whole social life in my twenties to learn how to do this, and um, so I realized there's this book called The E Myth where it talks about building a team and you know, delegating responsibility. And that's really what I need to do because it's not sustainable for me to do it myself. Uh, but then you need investment and uh, this kind of stuff. So, But this is all pre-crypto we're talking This here. is all pre-crypto, yeah. I had heard about Bitcoin from a friend in uh, 2013, I think it was. It had, had its like first spike to, I think, like 1,000 or 1,200. And um, I think I bought like $50, but then it crashed. And so it was like $15 or something. <laughs> but it was only $50, so it's not a big deal. So it was a part of my mind, but I never gave it much attention until 2015-ish. Um, and that's when I, I was kind of winding down my app stuff. And so I was like, what am I going to do? You know what I mean? And um, so I started this new app. And then at the same time, I invested in Bitcoin. Did you think of Bitcoin as this is an amazing technology that I want to find out about. Or did you think I could make a lot of money here? If it I goes thought up? it, well, I, so I grew up, my dad is a uh, wealth advisor, like a portfolio manager guy. And so, you know, I've, I've always been comfortable trading stocks and stuff. And part of the reason I was obsessed with Apple is because we bought a lot of Apple stock when I was young, right when the iPhone came out. And so I was viewing it, there was this Mike Maloney um, documentary about gold and I was like, well, gold is cool. I was just looking for an inflation hedge. And um, so the whole digital gold narrative is what drew me into Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so I never thought of it as a technology until Ethereum came along. I just thought of it as a, a uh, speculative asset that would, you know, had a limited supply and all the digital gold stuff. You must have been intrigued by the blockchain technology and stuff though with your well, yeah, technical understanding I guess. I was and that's what I didn't realize at the time that Bitcoin had all this Bitcoin scripting stuff that was disabled mm -hmm. until later but then Ethereum came along and it's like how, how did nobody think of this even though Dr. Wright thought of it yes. <laughs> but how did nobody think about this and so oh it's so cool we could do programmable money and that, that kind of thing and so that's when I started tinkering with Ethereum and I had this YouTube channel where I was teaching some of the stuff I had learned with iOS development because I was like desperate for money. I was running out of money. And so, um, and it, it never got many views. You know, it, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't something that I was expecting it to get popular like it did. And so, um, so yeah, I did a video on Ethereum. Uh, you know, my understanding, which looking back on it, I cringe because it was, you know, a limited but you were, understanding. What, telling people how to build apps on Ethereum or what? Yeah, exactly. And so I did a demo app of, um, it was like a split thing where, it was like a payroll thing where you'd put money in and people could collect it. Well, and it got a massive viewership. It did. It was surprising to me. And, it, and therefore some income, but you, you yeah, have to I get a very big audience to, to make any money out of YouTube, yeah. I think, don't you? Yeah, I think I think the video had like $2,000 in ad revenue. 
And then I started worrying. I'm like, oh my gosh, people are going to associate me because you could like target popular videos with a crypto ad. And so I actually demonetized the video after the first bubble when I started panicking that there's so many scams in this because right. I didn't want an ad and then my face, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. Even though I never said like, go oh, invest in this, I never promoted it, hmm. but people might associate me with that if the ads were in front of it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I turned it off. So, but, but by then you had a deep understanding of Ethereum and how to, how to build things on it. I, I would say I had just, you know, developer understanding. I just read the documentation. Mm. And um, so in those days, I was caught up with it. And then after that fight with Craig and Vital, I don't know if you call it a fight, but, you know, whatever, the, the, uh, the disputes at the, the economy conference, then I started, like, getting concerned about Ethereum. And I just, I literally just, like, kind of put it out of my mind. I didn't. I, I didn't, and so then all this other stuff came later, and it's changed a bit. So, right, so I'm not I'm not a pro on development. So just to sort of fill in here, that um, Vitalik, the founder of Ethereum, made some comments, uh, skeptical comments about Dr. Craig Wright. Yeah, um, and that publicly, publicly, <laughs> yeah. And what? So that sort of piqued your interest in Dr. Wright and well, what the, he was saying or what? I had actually, ever since the Gizmodo and Wired articles, I had followed Dr. Wright's. Right. So those were the articles that said, is, is this the inventor of yeah. Bitcoin? And then, and then a few days later said, well, perhaps he's not. Right. I didn't even see the, the retraction of it, right. to be honest. But, um, but yeah, so I watched all the interviews and I'm like, oh, this is, this has to be him. And so it wasn't, it wasn't even like a thing. I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't introduced to Dr. Wright because of that. I already already watched him. And at the time, the funny thing was, is that Vitalik, I think I remember a tweet, it might be mismatch, I think, it, I'm pretty sure 100%, that he did some tweet like, oh, Enchain is doing cool stuff, you know? And so before that fight, there was an ability to still be interested in Ethereum, hmm. but... It wasn't know, as sort of sectarian exactly, as it became, yeah. Exactly, and, I, and you know... Bitcoin SV didn't even exist at that hmm. point. And so it wasn't, there wasn't a conflict with being on both sides. But then after that fight, I had to pick a side. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to, you know, so, sit yeah. back a little bit. Well, you sat back, but then you did pick a side. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> and then you made your own video yeah. saying, yeah. What, 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 give us an idea of what, what that, what you kind of came out with there. Yeah. I just, I had, well, is that, that I believe the doctor right is Satoshi. And it was something that I like had thought a lot, but I just, you know, the public opinion was extremely negative. And so for me to like say it, I felt, felt like it was, you know, dangerous to me. And so I would always talk about blockchains in general, but it was just aching at my conscience because mm. everybody was just throwing. And like, we're losing this technology was the thing that bothered me. It's like, this is actually a valuable thing. And by everybody damaging his reputation, now we're just getting these frauds. You know but, what I mean? Or, but when you decided to make that video and decided to press publish, were you worried about what might happen? <laughs> I was worried. I, but I had done like a few rehearsals and like for me, like I try never to attack anybody publicly because I feel like what you give is what you get. And so there's a few where I looked at them like that's too aggressive. And 
And like, I was trying to, how do I frame this in like the most, um, you know, peaceful way? It was positive, right? yeah, wasn't it? Exactly. And so I had done rehearsals. I, I could even look, I think like it would took like a year. Like I, I not, I'm not practicing every day, but like a month, and I'd think about it in my, you know, free time, and then try it again. I'm like, yeah, like, how am I going to do this? And right. So, so eventually, you decided, okay, let's try this, yeah. see what happens. Well, it was just I was in a good mood, and everything flowed. Like I never use a script, but I'll have like an outline hmm. of like what points I want to make, right. you know. And so I was just in a good mood, and it flowed, and I wasn't feeling insecure. I just pushed it. And then what happened as soon as it was published? Well, yeah. So the first few comments that came in were like, uh, you know, negative. But they came in so quick, like they hadn't even watched the video. And so <laughs> it didn't bother me too much. And then it started flipping the positive after, because it was a long, long video. And uh, it started flipping the positive, And then it started getting way more views than I was expecting. Um, and then, I don't know what happened, but, you know, it kind of like plateaued. And there's different, like, if you look on, depending on what page on YouTube, it'll give you a different number of counts. So I don't know how they do it in the system, but it eventually just plateaued. I don't know if it was, you know, we've seen all the stuff with the Twitter where they have, like, the, you know, flagging of stuff. But, but no, it was a really positive thing, and it got, like, 70,000 views. And, and what about responses from the people you work with and the people you actually knew personally? Well, the funny thing is I didn't really know anybody personally. <laughs> yeah, I just had published this video on YouTube. And so hmm. there wasn't, besides my audience, there wasn't anybody. Was like, it, like part of the reason I did the YouTube video on Ethereum was because I was trying to talk to people about it in person and nobody wanted to listen. <laughs> right. And so I was like, I'm looking for, you know, friendship about this topic. Yes. And um, so there weren't fellow Ethereum developers no, who said, oh, no, you. no, no, no. Well, I guess I had one friend, but... Uh, I'd like try to tell him about it a little bit, but so I guess, and we tried to do a little project. And then after a while, I'm like, this is just so sketchy. Like, I don't even want to get involved with but, I mean, Ethereum anymore. Does it still seem odd to you at all that there is this sort of incredible divide and that you just saying, I think, you know, BSV is worth looking at is such a kind of dramatic thing to be saying? I know. Yeah. It, it does surprise me, but. I mean, there's been some books about, like, Jaron Lanier, I think, um, I haven't read his stuff in a while, but several years ago I watched it, and there's that other one, um, the Humane Center for Humane Technology, and they were talking about how social media causes polarization mm -hmm. just by the design of it, you know what I mean? It's like, if you're in person, you never... You never like ask somebody their political association, but then on Facebook, it's right there. You know what I mean? Um, and there's other examples. You know, the the most controversial thing gets the yes. the largest uh, audience. So, yeah, right. So, do you think that actually the impression that we have of this incredible divide between BSV and the rest of the crypto world, if I can just put it like that, is slightly artificial? That in fact, the people involved don't feel anything like as strongly uh, as you yeah. might think from from social media yeah i i think i think that's true and it's funny because with the rebrand of the london blockchain conference there's people that were asked like i was talking to people and they were just asking you know they have no no thing with blockchain they're just and you could tell they had no they didn't even know about the difference you know yeah well then okay so we talked about the negative reaction to that 
video that you put up. What about the sort of welcoming the open arms of the BSV community? Yeah, that was that was a surprise. It was well, it wasn't a surprise um, because um, Chow Wei from Escript, I joined his you know Slack for Escript because I'm like he had this presentation in London 2020 CoinGeek, uh, where smart contracts on BSV now that the opcodes have been re-enabled. So I joined his uh, his Slack and he was super welcoming. So I realized that people were, it wasn't like the enemy, but it's just, uh, you know, but I was surprised there were so many people that were commenting. Yeah. Okay, so here we are, 2023 now. Uh, you've been involved for a few years. Where do you think we've got to in that sort of massive conflict between BSV and the rest of the, the crypto world? Well, I think there's, you know, with all the fees and stuff on the other blockchains, because it was kind of uncertain at first. It's like, well, they say it can scale, but will it? And then uh, even in that dichotomy, Craig was talking about how, look, it's not going to scale. And But, you know, at the time, Ethereum, you could still do small payments because the fees were so low. And so it was like, well, Dr. Wright is speculating, but maybe Ethereum is going to beat BSV. But now, by this point, I think it's clear in my mind, for sure. Uh, and also, I think it's clear in the public's mind, but I don't know. But in my mind, it's a certain. But I think that it's clear in the public that you know Ethereum isn't going to work, you know, because the transaction fees. Any t- you had like the uh, what was the one with the cat crypto kitties, and hmm. it was like a s- silly idea, but it got popular and then it crashed the network basically because the fees were so high. Hmm. So their approach isn't going to work. And I think that we, you know, have demonstrated that now. So I mean, it's just that everybody in BSV has to believe that the best technology or the technology that will do more things better will in the end win. But on the other hand, there's this tiny BSV community mm. and there's huge numbers of people going to the BTC conference in Miami and so on, far more people on Ethereum. I mean, I guess there is a possibility that having the best technology does not necessarily guarantee that you win through in the end. Well, I think the reason why people there are for the money, they're not there for developing things at the, the other conferences. It's, you know, it's more of a uh, investment opportunity and... So even though they have a large audience, I don't think they have a large developer audience. And you could say Ethereum has a large developer audience, but most of them are focused on doing like the NFT. It's like, it's more of like a venture, you know, like when I, part of the reason I didn't want to take venture capital, and I, I left this kind of out of the story, but with my app development, I really needed to take venture capital to scale, but I didn't want to. And I would just look at all these people and they were just so um, focused on doing, getting money like, I need venture capital, but it's like, well, what do you want to build? You know what I mean? And nobody would have a good answer to that. And so I always, and that's not what venture capital should be, but it's what I associated it with. You know what I mean? And so um, I always kind of put that aside. And that's kind of the audience that I see at these other things. It's just people that are looking to make fast money. Yeah, that, that's true. I think that, that the people who go to those conferences and and are involved, they personally want to make money. Right. Whereas I think if you come to a conference like this, which is BSV focused, it's people who want to sell to businesses and to create a business that will yeah, make money for them. Right. But it's not so much a get rich quick scheme, I guess. Right. 
And one of the things I really learned from Dr. Wright in some of his interviews was, like the very first public interview he had, he was talking about mercantilism, which I might mess up, but the way I would define it is just caring about money more than goods and services. And after I watched that thing probably 20 times, that talk, and I realized that, you know what, like our wealth is our goods and services. It's not the money. But all throughout time, there's been this battle where people just view money as the end goal instead of the goods and services. But if you just had, let's say you're on a deserted island and you have a billion dollars or a trillion dollars, well, you have nothing. It's just you. You know what I mean? But if you just have $100,000 in a big metropolitan metropolitan city, you have access to so much, you know, millions of options for food, different cuisines, different clothing, different, you know, options for like, think about all the movies and entertainment and you have so much wealth, but the wealth is the goods and services it has nothing to do. With, I mean, it has something to do with the money because that's how you get access, but the money comes second, you know, it's the goods and services that really is the wealth of society. I mean, it, it is interesting because on the one hand, BSV has technology that you can demonstrate. It can do micropayments. It's, they're, they're very cheap and all that sort of, but there is this sort of, I don't know whether you could call it political, but certainly ideological side to it as well, isn't it? There is a kind of, we can make a better world. Mm. I mean, how much weight do you put on that? I mean, I guess everyone wants to make a better world, but is, is it really something that is absolutely consistent with the technology and what it can achieve, do you think? Well, I think so. I mean, the talk I gave was just about like what solution did Bitcoin actually solve? You know, is what I had to give. And so I had to really think about this. And I was rereading the white paper and watching the interviews. And the it was about micropayments. And getting rid of the third party wasn't about ending the government or getting rid of banks or like all the stuff that you hear, which is just silly. But it was just saying in this domain, if you want to do small casual payments, then you can't do that with a trusted third party because they have to reverse the transactions and it has fees and it's just too expensive to do it that way. So it wasn't an attack on them. It was just saying, if we want to do micropayments, then we need to get rid of, or we need a model without them, okay? But not to replace them, just for this new domain of micropayments, right? And so, yeah, micropayments alone could solve so many issues on the internet. Because it's moved into this sort of like data collection, like there's, there's, it's just a mess, right? And so if you could actually pay for content instead of being surveilled and then like, you know, sold for your behaviors, it would be awesome. But then beyond that, with the blockchain and all this traceability and reducing fraud and having a more honest world, yeah, I mean, there is a lot that could be done. And so one of the things though is, you can be so idealistic that you don't think about money at all. And I've made that mistake with right. my early, you know, like I was doing this app and I was like, oh, it doesn't matter about money. But it kind of does. You know what I mean? Right. But the, <laughs> so. the beauty of Bitcoin SV is that in a way, those two things are meshed together, True. aren't they? And that yeah. hopefully it'll all work out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I think that money gets people's attention and the fact that the other you know, tokens have gotten so much money, they've gotten so much attention. And there's something sad about that. But at the same time, too, it's also been a great filtering mechanism, because now everybody who's interested in technology is filtered to BSV, and everybody who's interested in making money has been filtered to others. So it's worked itself out. But it's just a bummer to see on 
CNBC, the conversation is all about BTC and mm. all these false narratives are being promoted. So um, I don't know what the right balance is, but I think, you know, it's, it'll be okay in the end. It's like the dot-com bubble or something. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much. Really, really interesting. Yeah, great conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much to Kevin Healy. My guest next week also has an interesting career history. Giovanni Franzisi has recently joined as an executive partner at the London blockchain development company Enchain. Giovanni's previous job was head of blockchain business development at the telecoms giant Ericsson, where he worked for 23 years. So please join me to find out what Giovanni is planning to do next at Enchain. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye.